0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on Donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast.
1: It would be illegal for a husband who had a hard heart to do this, right? but God doesn't have a hard heart. No. The intention of the law was for people to be together forever. Mm -hmm. So isn't there a sense in which God is fulfilling the original intent of the marriage commands by coming towards his adulterous Mm -hmm. bride? It's beautiful. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible is about him. In each episode, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in.
0: Welcome, everyone, to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are continuing our journey through the book of Jeremiah. We began our study looking at what is prophetic literature, what was Jeremiah's prophecy in general, and then last episode, we looked at Jeremiah chapter 1, which serves as a prologue to look at his calling, what the shape and um, structure of his ministry would be. And today, we are going to look at more of a theme throughout the book of Jeremiah— the theme of covenant, particularly as it pertains to the covenant between God and his people as a marriage ceremony, which they have broken, and Jeremiah is going to talk about the consequences of that. So, Seth, what is a covenant?
1: Wow. <laughs> Wow. Not even a, how are you? How nope. are you doing? Just like, what is a covenant? What's a covenant, oh, man? Oh, man.
0: How are you, Seth? How are you great. feeling about I'm doing, covenant? I'm doing great. Yeah. I'm so
1: excited to talk about marriage covenants oh, and covenants right. in general. It'll be It'll great. Be
0: great. All right. So, But seriously, what's a covenant? What, what, what
1: is a covenant? <laughs> so one of the things that Jeremiah does in his book that isn't unique to Jeremiah, but Jeremiah develops it in a way that we haven't seen in a lot of other biblical authors. Mm. But he really is intent on describing God's relation to his people as like a groom and his bride. Mm. And that Israel, because of her failure to obey the marriage covenant, to remain faithful to her husband, she is like an adulterous bride, a whore, um, a lusty donkey sniffing the air for more mates. And he spends a lot of metaphorical time building out this picture of Israel as this faithless bride to her husband, God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that starts all the way back on, in the book of Exodus on Mount Sinai.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so, uh, I mean, one helpful thing that we've done already, I think the term covenant can feel really religiously y biblio-language, yes. uh, but we understand what a marriage is, right? You yep. covenant with another person. And there are rules implicit to that relationship because you're in covenant with each other. Like, maybe don't cheat on me. Maybe yes. love and respect me. Don't harm me. Like there's There yes. are implicit things that go along with a marriage contract. And that's, right. that's how you're wanting us to think about the covenant that Jeremiah talks about throughout his yes. prophecy. Yes.
1: And it's how Jeremiah wants us to think about it. So Jeremiah chapter 2, his first prophecy after the prologue ah uh, the word of the lord came to me saying go and proclaim in the hearing of jerusalem thus says the lord i remember the devotion of your youth your love as a bride mm. how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown israel was holy to the lord the first fruits of his harvest and all who ate of it incurred guilt and disaster came upon them declares the lord so he's describing this time that israel was in the wilderness before they came into the promised land mm-hmm. and how as they entered the promised land because of their faithfulness to God and the covenant, all their enemies were scattered and defeated before them. He's yeah. saying, back in the day, right after Mount Sinai and during that time, you were like a bride with me. Hmm. You were like a bride. I was like your groom. That's what you used to be like. Hmm. So Jeremiah wants us to think of Mount Sinai as a wedding day.
0: As a wedding day. Yeah. Okay. Man, it's, uh, that's a rough marriage ceremony. Uh, and like a, a rough okay. courtship. Okay. I'm just thinking, like I'm not trying to throw Jeremiah's prophecy under the bus here. When I read the days leading up to and surrounding and following yes. Sinai, it didn't look like it didn't like love uh, yeah, a, a bride yeah. loving. Yeah, God. there's
1: a they have a pretty a quickly the love is lost fairly quickly. Yeah,
0: because it's like they're complaining about no not having food not having water. They mm-hmm. build a golden calf. They don't want to even talk to God up on the mountain. Uh, you know so it's just it's interesting that he's remembering it in this way
1: well, so I think maybe let's just rewind a little bit. Mm. What happened on the mountain? yeah, is the marriage I see. So God rescues his people out of Egypt. There's this height of emotion. God's present comes onto the mountain, flame and fire and mm-hmm. smoke. Moses goes up on the mountain. God proclaims over his people. I will be your God. You will be my people. Everybody says, amen. Yes, you will be our God mm-hmm. and we will be your people. And there's this intensity yep. of love, of affection, and a willingness to follow God's commands.
0: Everything the Lord says we will do. That's right. Which is what Jeremiah is going to ask them to do the whole time.
1: Yes. (laughs) And what is the first command?
0: Love the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt.
1: That's right. It's it's a command to be faithful to your husband. Like Mm -hmm. even the Ten Commandments understands Mm -hmm. itself in this love-like relational category. You shall have
0: no other gods besides me. Don't take on any other lovers. Don't cheat on me.
1: Right. So there's a real sense in which... On Mount Sinai, that big climactic moment, it was God's marriage to his people. Mm-hmm. And then when Jesus summarizes those 10 commandments, what does he how does he summarize them? They're all commandments about love. Mm. Love your God and love one another. Yeah. Love me, the one who created this marriage, and love each other, all the fellow
0: brides. It's a, It's a relational contract in the context of love and exclusivity.
1: Yeah, that's right. It has
0: all the elements of a marriage. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, I follow.
1: Yeah. And I think it's really probably good to like name up front that like breaking the covenant isn't so much behavioral or legal as it is relational. So that's
0: really helpful, actually.
1: So, which is why Jeremiah wants to use all these really emotive, evocative images to describe Israel's apostasy from God. It's not that they're just breaking laws. They're not just committing misdemeanors. They're mm. not just doing sins. They're abandoning their husband who right. rescued them and wants to be with them. It's yes. a relational breaking before it is a legal one.
0: Right. They've separated from their spouse. That's right. They've left. They've cheated. They, they've they stopped being married. Right, they've they've committed a legal separation yes. from their God, yeah, and he's calling a spade a spade.
1: That's right. Yeah. So let me just give you a couple of the images he uses in chapter two. So he calls uh, them a whore. Israel mm-hmm. is a whore for other gods and other international powers. They're like a camel running to and fro to everybody else besides God. They're like a, like a donkey in heat, lusting after other lovers. And whenever it, any of the male camels want to find a mate, they know where to look. It's Judah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> this is in just a chapter two. Oh, man. Um, at one point, God calls Judah a bride without a gown. Mm. So, like, imagine a bride showing up to a wedding with no gown. 'Cause she doesn't want to be there. Yeah. She's a, like this isn't hurt
0: for Ooh, what an yeah. evocative image. Right. It's like if you're the groom and you're standing at the front of the church and your bride the door's open, the organ starts playing, bum bum, ba, bum 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 doors open yes. and your soon to be wife walks in wearing street clothes, you're like, Oh, the wedding must be off.
1: That's right. <laughs> That's right. Gosh. That's right. So Jeremiah parades all these images, proving Israel's faithfulness yeah. in their idolatry, their breaking of God's commands, their relational corruption. And in the beginning of chapter 3, he quotes the book of Deuteronomy. Okay. So he quotes the covenant. And he says this, If a man divorces his wife, and she goes from him, and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not the land be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers, and you would return to me? So Jeremiah is quoting God's law in Deuteronomy, hmm. and it's it's the divorce laws uh, in Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. in Deuteronomy 24, and it says if a woman commits adultery, and she goes and is married to another man, and that man divorces her for some other reason, and that woman tries to become married to her first husband, the first husband cannot remarry her, right. according to the law. Um, cannot remarry her, and it says that would be a pollution upon the land.
0: Uh, And so is he saying that God and Israel were married, Mm -hmm. and so Israel then went and cheated on him with other gods, Mm -hmm. for God to remarry Israel would actually pollute the land?
1: That's right. Ooh. So he's saying, and how's God going to break his own law, Israel? Yeah, right. He gave you this covenant, and you broke it. How can he now be justified (sighs) in taking you back? Don't you deserve the exile that's coming to you? So I wanted to set up that problem really starkly because Jeremiah doesn't just see this exile as a sin problem or a relational problem. He also sees it as a covenantal and legal problem. Deuteronomy says it is impossible or it should not happen that an adulterous wife be remarried to her first husband. Mm. And if God said that, how could God be above his laws? Right. To uh, heighten the tension Mm -hmm. of that statement In chapter 3, verse 6 and on, Jeremiah kind of doubles down on this. By this time, Israel has been divided by civil war. Judah in the south Mm -hmm. is still around, but Israel in the north has been exiled for some time by Assyria. And so he says this, The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel in the north? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore? And I thought, God said, and I thought... After she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return, Mm. and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. I divorced Israel by sending them away to Assyria. Yet, her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stones and trees. Yet for all her treacherous sister, Judah, did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. Man. So, what's happening? The impending divorce of Judah. hmm Yeah. And what hope of reconciliation can there be?
0: Although this metaphor breaks down, or this analogy breaks down, it's, it's like you have two sisters— Mm -hmm. You know, and they each get married to faithful husbands Mm -hmm. and the older sister starts cheating and walking out on her husband and doing all these, you know, horrible things. And the husband's like patient, waits, but then eventually has to divorce her. Okay. Yeah. And the younger sister's watching all of this Mm -hmm. and she should have learned not to do those same things. That's right. That's right. Uh, but, and that, you know, that older sister is Israel in the North and the younger sister being Judah in the South didn't learn her lesson from how God treated Northern Israel. And he's like, yeah, I did it to Northern Israel. I divorced them because of their philandering. Yes. I'm going to do it to you too. Yeah. It's impending. Yeah.
1: Wow. So what's interesting about this is that I think as you read Jeremiah, you're going to get this sense that Judah's sins are at a point of no return Mm -hmm. and there's actually no hope of a restored relationship with God a divorce with God right What hope of a covenant can you have when God divorces you when his own law says you can't re-enter back into a covenant once you've broken it mm-hmm. So there just seems to be this finality of the exile that there is no hope of restoration, right mm-hmm. But at the same time Jeremiah will say things like this in Jeremiah 12:7 I've forsaken my house, I have abandoned my heritage. I've given the beloved of my soul, into the hands of her enemies. So even though God is presumably divorcing Israel, mm. he's still calling her his beloved. His beloved. And it's like breaking his heart. And it's breaking his heart. Yeah. Uh which is okay, that's an interesting development when we expect God to be angry yeah, at this treacherous, right. lusty camel of a wife. Like right. he's like, like good
0: riddance, I deserve better than this. Right. Yeah, you've mistreated me. Like imagine like a a a, a right or like a righteously angry husband at a cheating wife. It's like we're done. That's right. Yeah. But That's he's right. Like, You're not my beloved anymore, but God does call her his beloved still.
1: Yes. So it's like, he's still this beloved. There's mm-hmm. this impending, irrevocable, unundoable un- divorce. Mm-hmm. But then in chapter three, right after he says that the divorce is final, he says this, return, O faithless children, and I will take you One from a city and two from a family, I will bring you back to Zion, Mm. and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. The implication, he says here next, is that you'll be so familiar with my commandments that you'll no longer want to go to see the Ark of the Covenant, which is in the middle of the temple, because it won't be made again. Mm. There won't be an Ark of the Covenant after this exile Jerusalem will nevertheless be called the throne of God and all nations will gather it to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. There shall be no more people who stubbornly follow their own evil hearts. Hmm. So there's also this picture at the same time of this inevitable divorce that would be illegal for God to accept back his bride. Right. There's a sense that He, that God's people are still his beloved and he will bring them back in this new reimagined Jerusalem where there won't be an Ark of the Covenant but where all God's people are listening to God's voice again.
0: Yeah. Isn't that, it's really, so yeah, I see the contradictions you're setting up. So there's, God cannot accept back his whoring bride because to do so would break his own law and pollute the land. That's right. Yet God says, I will break that law. Right. And bring you back and accept you. Yeah. But there's another contradiction is, is this even the same bride? Because it's like you have this whoring donkey, camel, non dress wearing bride who gets sent into exile so that God doesn't break his own law and pollute it. But then the bride that comes back Mm -hmm. seems like to have the Ark of the covenant within her and just obeys God has no more stubborn heart. It's Mm -hmm. like, who is this lady? Yes. So it's like, those are the contradictory categories. Those are the contradictory
1: categories. And you'll see them throughout the book of Jeremiah. That's helpful. Okay. The inevitable divorce of God's people. Yep. And also
0: the inevitable return of them. So does Jeremiah ever solve that tension of God's unbreakable law and unbreakable covenant that's bringing about the inevitable exile Mm -hmm. with the God who says, like you quoted in Jeremiah 3, 12, return faithless Israel, I will not look on you in anger for I am merciful. This merciful, forgiving God who's happy to break his law because he wants his bride so badly. Does, Does he ever reconcile it or does he just hold both?
1: So he reconciles it in the innovation that we've talked about a couple different times. Mm. So throughout the book of Jeremiah, he's going to start saying things about a circumcision of the heart. He's mm. going to, start to talk about a heart washed of its sinfulness. It'll He'll talk about, in one of my favorite ways, he talks about Israel's sin, is that he says that the um, sins of God's people are written on their hearts hearts with a pen of diamond. Mm. So like sin is so engraved into their stony heart that it's like a diamond cutting into stone. That's how embedded sinfulness is.
0: Wow. But
1: God will give them a new heart and write his laws on their hearts instead. Yeah. So there's all this talk of like a renovation and a renewal of the heart
0: mm.
1: of God's people. That seems to indicate like the solution to this problem. Hmm. somehow the legal problem of God remarrying his adulterous spouse is solved in this recreation of the heart Ah. and this renewing of the heart, which gets to the point that Jeremiah calls that renewal of the heart a new covenant, a new marriage. Not a remarriage, Hmm. but a new marriage. Hmm. That's part of the answer.
0: Yeah. What it makes me think of is something you said earlier that I found really helpful, that Israel's covenant breaking isn't necessarily legal. It's relational. Yes. Um, they're not breaking rules. They're breaking relationship. And so when when God says, I'm going to give you a new heart, I'm going to take mm-hmm. out your diamond sin written upon stone heart and that can only sin, only betray, only whore, only lust, only cheat, only leave. I'm going to take that heart out of you and I'm going to give you a heart, a heart that can listen to my law, obey my law, isn't mm-hmm. stubborn, mm-hmm. is what he's saying is I'm going to give you a heart that can actually love me, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And it's like, what is the crux of the the law in Deuteronomy and Exodus? It's love the Lord your God with all your heart.
1: It's all your soul. And it's yeah, like, that's we right. don't have hearts that can do that.
0: Yeah. And so he, there's a relational problem, not a legal problem. Mm-hmm. It's that God loves me with an everlasting love and I don't love him back. Yes. I keep running away from him, Mm -hmm. and I need a heart that can actually love God. So he's going to give me that new heart that actually can fix the relationship problem.
1: Yes. And so what's interesting about the way that Jeremiah is going to start solving this problem for us is he's going to take us all the way back to the creation story. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is the only Old Testament author to quote this line from the book of Genesis, which is the phrase formless and void.
0: Uh, 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 In the beginning... God created the the heavens heavens and the earth. earth, And and the earth was formless and void. And the earth was formless and void. And the spirit of God hovered over the face of the water. So he
1: quotes that line, formless and void, as a description of what God will do to Judah through the exile.
0: He'll make them formless and void? He'll
1: uncreate them. I'm
0: going to turn you back into before there was time.
1: That's right. And then when he starts talking about a new covenant and when our hearts are going to be remade, he brings back in all this creation language again. So uh, Jeremiah 31. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and fixed the order of the moon and the stars for light by the sea, who stirs up the sea so that his waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. This fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord. Then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Mm. So he goes back to creation. He says, remember how I created the world? My love for you will not end unless the world itself ends.
0: Right. Which is saying that like, it will never
1: end. It will never end. But what I think is fascinating here, he's saying, "I'm going to uncreate you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to turn you back into the right, the, the formless and void, the formless and voidness, world. making a new covenant with you. I'm going to recall and renew all these creational promises, mm-hmm. and I'm going to create you into something different. Right. The new heart is a new creation, which is exactly what the apostle Paul will mm. call." That's right. Our relationship in Christ. Anyone who's in Christ is, is a, a new creation. Is a new creation. Mm. So I think we're onto something when we start talking about like, it's almost as if we're not the same people anymore.
0: Right. And who was, is this new bride coming out of exile? That's right. Yeah.
1: So all these ideas that we're talking about, mm-hmm. divorce, creation, uncreation, the legal requirements, what divorce should and shouldn't be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Jesus actually talks about all of this mm. when he's talking to the Pharisees. The pharisees want to trap him in this intramural pharisaical debate about the the limits of divorce and they ask him his opinion on Mm -hmm. the matter and then he responds by saying well what does the law say and the pharisees respond by saying well it says let the man write a certificate of divorce and you know send the wife away and then jesus said well the only reason moses wrote that was was because of your your hardness of hearts but from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. Mm-hmm. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall be united. Uh, so they're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus seems to be like debating with God's own law, mm. in a sense, right here. He's saying the purpose of the divorce laws was to give allowances for your hardness of heart.
0: It was an a, it was a kind accommodation
1: to your sinfulness.
0: To your sinfulness.
1: But God has this intention that once he has joined himself to somebody, Mm -hmm. that will never be abolished. Mm. That's the purpose of marriage. Right,
0: yes, that's its meaning and purpose. That is its meaning. And
1: if God has married himself Mm -hmm. to a bride, but he commits no sin and cannot break laws Mm -hmm. and has no hardness of heart in himself, isn't he allowed to remarry the bride who's been faithful to him? Mm. It would be illegal for a husband who had a hard heart to do this right but god doesn't ha- have a hard heart no the intention of the law was for people to be together forever mm-hmm. so isn't there a sense in which god is fulfilling the original intent yeah. of the marriage commands by Absolutely. coming towards his mm-hmm. adulterous bride
0: it's beautiful yes and and yes and um you know jesus also says in a similar context uh i do not permit anyone to get a divorce except for marital unfaithfulness he does say that and so it's like there is this loophole that Israel right. has fulfilled. Oh, yes, that's They've right. They've been maritally unfaithful. That's right. And God has every right to divorce them. Mm-hmm. Like, even by his own law, even the law of Christ yeah. has allowed for the divorce. But he still doesn't divorce them. Right? That's right. And so, like, what I'm, what I found really fascinating when we were reading Jeremiah 2 and 3 and we were looking at this mm-hmm. idea of... God's law says a man shall not be rejoined to an adulterous wife, or else mm-hmm. it would be a pollution, and we set up this legal problem. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Paul quotes this in Romans seven.
1: He does. He quotes this Am exact I, thing totally in this? Romans
0: seven, and he brings up it's a matter of the law, and he and so you have this situation where there's this potential adultery, and if uh, you know a, a wife can't leave her husband until mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. dies. And it's like, so how do you deal with this whole, like, adultery, new husband issue? Oh, yeah. A death has to occur.
1: <laughs> a death has to occur. <laughs> and so, like, That's what do you— right. Yeah,
0: so, so let me just read it. So, um, uh, this is Romans 7-2. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress, a whore, if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies she is free from that law and if she marries another man she is not an adulteress and so you have this situation Mm -hmm. in which jesus has died and that's what it goes on to say is that Mm -hmm. the legal requirements of the law is what it says next has been fulfilled for us in christ the righteousness of the law has been fulfilled for us in christ therefore we who would have maybe stumbled into an adulterous relationship, mm-hmm. having rejoined ourselves to yes. Jesus, that has been dealt with because the husband has yes, died
1: the husband has died interesting <laughs> and so the like so <laughs> it's just fascinating. no it is to fascinating. Me. and it's like and in Jeremiah's case, the wife must die right they both died so it's a new covenant it's a new <laughs> covenant it has to be a new covenant it has to, it's <laughs> like the old rules don't apply anymore don't because apply. everyone has died. Husband uh, and wife uh, have both died uh, on the
0: cross and meet in a new resurrection for a new marriage that will last forever.
1: Yes. <laughs> That's too good. Therefore, there is there, no condemnation uh, for I, those who are in Christ there Jesus. There is a lawyer out there that I really want to like lay this out as like a court precedent. and yes. like <laughs> it just, It's funny to I, me.
0: I want to see it as a scripted legal drama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great objection. Show. I would watch that. But what
1: if both of them die? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> That'd
0: be fascinating. Anyway, anyway, well, that's how Jeremiah begins to solve the problem. Yes, that's exactly. And how right. Jesus ultimately solves it, and then Paul brings it home.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That exactly is right. amazing. That yes. So wow. let's talk about some other ideas. Okay. So that there, that's the 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 cheating bride, the new covenant. Let's just talk about. Okay. So there was an old covenant. On Mount Sinai, that they broke, Mm. but through the death of both Israel in exile and Jesus on God Himself on the cross, a new covenant can be made Mm. and God's people can be remarried to God. Right. Awesome. What exactly does that mean then? Oh, yeah. So, what is Jeremiah talking about when he says, like, there will be no more sin in the land of Judah? Yeah. God's people will return to their land and we will have hearts that are
0: no longer stubborn.
1: No longer stubborn, but the law of God is written on them. So, like, We now live in the new covenant era. We live on this side of what Jeremiah hoped for. So what does a new covenant mean for us is Ooh. the question. Yeah. What is that new law written on our hearts?
0: Yeah. because Okay, so because we are, as the New Testament tells us, we are the bride of Christ. That's right. He is our bridegroom. Mm-hmm. And we are his bride. He has washed us and renewed us. And there's a marriage and we're looking forward to our wedding day when we'll show up in a dress and not show up in our street clothes and we'll actually be joined with Jesus forever to be one flesh and never shall those two part. But right now Mm -hmm. we still do kind of have some stubborn hearts and we do still sin and Mm -hmm. our land is not perfect. Neither are our churches. Yep. So it doesn't seem like it's fully come true yet.
1: Yeah. So we talked about this, I think it was in the last episode is that when Jeremiah starts talking about the new covenant, he starts talking about Judah's return to their land, mm-hmm. the rebuilding of the temple, the re like the real geopolitical restructuring of
0: God's yep. of that nation. And Daniel definitely thought that that's what it was going to look like.
1: That's right, yeah. yeah. And it did happen. Right. Ezra and Nehemiah started yep. rebuilding this thing, but we're like, that can't be the full extent of the new covenant promises mm-hmm. because the hearts of God's people were still hard. Yep, and we know that because when Jesus comes on the scene. The Pharisees and religious leaders, along with a lot of people of Israel, wanted to kill him Yep. Uh, for the message that he was bringing and the covenant that he wanted to establish. Yep. Right. So, like, it but, hadn't hadn't happened yet.
0: Jeremiah's promises and this new covenant thing hasn't fully happened right. yet at the time of Jesus. But
1: when Jesus comes in the scene and mm-hmm. the day, but one of the not the day before he dies. Yeah, the Holy Thursday. Holy Thursday. Holy Thursday. He uh, Monday Ma- Thursday. Monday Thursday. Yeah. He new covenant. He gathers his disciples Mm -hmm. in the upper room and he quotes the book of Jeremiah and holds up the Passover cup of Mm -hmm. wine and the bread and said, this is a new covenant in my blood on the day that I die.
0: Mm. And just to pause there. Yep. uh, the, The Passover was the story of the Exodus. That's right. Right? The leaving to go where? To the place of the covenant ceremony at Sinai, mm-hmm. where the first covenant was given. That's right. The first marriage. That's right. And Jesus is like there's so so when he's holding the blood and the bread, he's talking about a new Passover, a new Exodus. A new Mount Sinai moment. So hey, let's come to Mount Sinai again. Let's get married
1: again. That's right.
0: Okay. Yes. Continue. So,
1: and so on the cross, Jesus dies and that becomes the moment of marriage for all believers since Jesus' death to now. Mm-hmm. We unite at the cross. We are now married to Christ when we trust in what the cross did for us Mm -hmm. and brings about the new covenant. Yes. But all of Jeremiah's prophecies haven't come true yet. Right. We're still sinning. We're still doing all these things. Yes. So what's the innovation? What's the new covenant feel like Uh, to be in it until it's perfected when Christ returns?
0: That's a helpful, that's a helpful question. Let me try to state it even stronger just to get to the existential issue. I think most Christians face, which is if Christ is in me, If I have the Holy Spirit, if I'm really a new creation, why do I keep on sinning? Why do I still look like the old bride if I'm supposed to be the new one? Yeah. Like, what's going on there? Is that that what we're talking about? Am I any
1: different than people under the old covenant? Yeah. What's the innovation? Right. Okay. And the innovation is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The innovation is the Holy Spirit. He, um... I don't even know how to start talking about the Holy Spirit. Oh, <laughs> it's like a whole a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Um, but just before Jesus dies, mm. he's talking to his disciples in the upper room. In the same meeting where he tells them about the new covenant. And he says that it's better that I go away. Right. Because when I go away, a helper is going to be said to you, an advocate. Mm-hmm. And he's going to teach you everything I said. And he's going to call to mind everything I said. And he's going to live inside you to help you and to comfort you. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about his Holy Spirit. Right and he's saying that this holy spirit would be better than his physical presence on the earth. And that holy spirit would imbibe and live in his disciples to teach them how to live in this new covenant. Yep. And in that moment when the holy spirit enters their hearts, the law of God is written on their hearts. Yeah. So and so we probably need to talk about what that means, but like that's what the innovation is. Right. The Old Testament believers did not have the holy spirit in the same way that Jesus tells us that we have the holy spirit. That's
0: right. Yeah, and Jeremiah foreshadows how that innovation will occur because he talks about how God took his hand and put his word in his mouth. Mm-hmm. And it was like and it's like a fire yeah, in his yeah, mouth, yeah. right? Yep. And then when the holy spirit comes to these disciples that Jesus was oh, talking yes, to, right. it's flaming mouthpieces. Yes, flaming tongues, tongues fire. Yes. come and change them from you know, people argue about this, but cowering disciples in the upper room to passionate evangelists out on the street, you know, and it's, it happens. What God says, they say, they become these Jeremiah-like proclaimers Mm -hmm. of the other side of his prophecies. So it's really fascinating.
1: Yes. And Mm -hmm. how does God create anything to begin with?
0: Like back in the beginning?
1: Over the face of the waters, his spirit hovered ah. over the face of the waters to bring forth land and animals and people. And so yes. again, in Acts two, right. the Holy Spirit falls. They're mm. recreating hearts, recreating people.
0: It, it it might be hard for us to explain, okay. like like what we're trying to do right now. Yeah. But it is the biblical pattern. That's right. That the Holy Spirit's job is new creation. <laughs> yeah, that's it's right. Like in the yes. beginning, there was it was formless and void, and God's spirit hovered over the face of the water and he spoke. So you have the spirit and the word, mm-hmm. and those mm-hmm. two things mm-hmm. work out new creations, sun, moon, stars, yes. plants, animals, humans. And when it happens again, this new creation, it's the Holy Spirit's work. So what's the innovation? It's that new hol- creation in the Holy Spirit.
1: Yes, living inside us perpetually. Yeah. And so, and let's talk about what it means to have the law written on our hearts. Yes. So the reality was that for Israel, God's presence, His Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. dwelt outside of them. He lived in a tent. Yes, at inside, the ark of the covenant. At the ark of the covenant, around the laws. So mm-hmm. God's Spirit, and law were yep. in the tabernacle, right. right? Right. Yes. And so, if you wanted to obey the law, mm-hmm. if you wanted to follow the covenant, if you wanted to be in right relationship with God, you had to look somewhere. You had to look to the temple. You yes. had to be reminded of the things that it said. You had to be constantly. Updated on whatever new thing was being communicated from God mm-hmm. through the mouth of the prophets and through the, ma- the yep. mouth of the and priests. And to get
0: into that presence, even symbolically, you were carried into the presence of God through sacrifice, blood, and atonement. That's right. And that's how you spiritually and even imaginatively got close to the mercy seat, the, the Ark of the Covenant of God, was when an animal's blood was sprinkled right. on it. You're like, I- okay, that's me, I'm there. Me and God are close, but in this imaginative sense. How do
1: you get close to the Word and the Spirit, the Covenant and the Spirit? As you go through all this blood and sacrifice and travel to it. That's right. Right.
0: Yep. But when Jesus instituted the new marriage, Mm -hmm. he died on the cross. And just like at Sinai, there was blackness and like a storm event, Mm -hmm. and that tabernacle... That 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 that, you know you needed blood to pass through, and that the marriage, the original marriage covenant set up the Mm -hmm. laws for that tabernacle. the The main curtain was ripped in two, Mm -hmm. so that we could see that our husband,
1: the spirit (laughs) and the word, the spirit and the covenant would come out of the temple
0: through the sacrifice of our of our husband
1: into us. Yes, yes. So that's like the biblical story of how that happens, and when it resides into our heart, I think the question is like, so why is that? It's hard for me to imagine what it would have been like to not have the law written on my heart. Because as a Christian, yeah, the Bible describes my my lived reality as mm-hmm. having the law written on my heart. And it's hard for me to imagine what that would have felt like yes. otherwise. But here's the best way that I've okay. kind of learned to describe it. Is that God's laws were given to a nomadic people in the desert mm-hmm. several thousand years ago. Right? Yeah, yes. And as God's people traveled through the lands, new laws were added to that thing. Right. And we talked about this way, 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 way back way in the back. day, Day, but like not even all the laws in the Old Testament. Agree with each other. Uh, or are <laughs> enough to govern a nation. Oh, yes. They're not enough to govern a nation. Yeah. You need more laws to, yep. well, what do you Because do new f- circumstances, I, I don't mean they contradict each other. I mean, yeah. they had to be,
0: they had to grow. They had to grow. Because new circumstances showed up. It's like, okay, I know what that law said. Right. But how do we handle it when this happens?
1: A great example of that is the law says that uh, men pass on property to other men
0: to their sons to their sons mm-hmm.
1: um however there was once a man named zelophahad who had five daughters ah no sons no sons so is he allowed to pass on the property to his daughters right. well there's no law about that
0: and the law says like it has to continue being passed along the land can't go defunct right so there seems to be a, a, a contradiction we have to have a development
1: so moses asked god and god says yeah Pass the do- land on to your daughters. <laughs> Let's this write is- a new law. Let's write a new law. Yeah. So there was this constant development of what it meant to be God's people in new places and at new times. Right. And the only way to have access to that wisdom and that developing legal code was through prophets, priests, a sacrificial system, and access to God's presence in a temple. Right. But now that developing law code that gives us guidance to live in situations that we've never imagined before yes. is now our Constant intuition living inside of us. Yes,
0: the counselor, the mm-hmm. helper, the advocate, helping us understand how to be the people of God in infinitely complex situations that the 613 laws of the Old Testament could have never That's right. adapted enough to to help us yeah. navigate.
1: I think I've used this example before, but it's like my, my daughter is only 10, right? Mm-hmm. So I, she has a lot of rules. You can't watch TV past a certain time. You go to bed at eight. You uh, clean up your dishes when you're done. And those are rules. they are laws in our house. Right. But my hope for her as an adult isn't that she goes to bed at eight o'clock. Right. It's not that she cleans up her dishes at a certain time. Mm-hmm. It's that she would become the type of person who knows how to take care of herself and her and, home and her home. Yeah. And so the laws of God are a, a tutor, which is what Paul calls them. And now the Holy Spirit is turning us into the type of people that intuit what it means to be the people of God all around the world in all the situations that we're in. Yes. I think that's kind of like what it means to have the law of God written on our hearts. Yes. Is that we have this constantly, constant spirit that helps us be God's people yeah. in the world, no matter the circumstances. And even if the Bible doesn't address that situation directly, which right. is so many of our situations. So
0: helpful. I love that picture. Can I add one more very nerdy way to describe the, yes. the, the the heart of flesh?
1: From the parental to the nerdy. I love it.
0: Yeah. Let's go really practical to the really, really intense. But, um, so you have this you know, I i it's the passe picare, passe non picare okay. idea. And so in in creation, Adam and Eve were uh able not to sin.
1: They had the choice to obey God's commands if they wanted
0: to. That's right. But after the fall, we 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 we, we had hard hearts. And that so a diamond we, pen wrote the, into our stony heart. That's right. We had a sin. stony heart and the only thing that you could write on it was sin. And so we were Not able not to sin, (laughs) okay, and so all which is another way of saying, we that's all we could do was sin. Yep, and uh, you know, there was always something mixed into the action that made it broken, that made it fallen or twisted. It's why you don't really have perfect people, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, and not not anyway. Uh, and so after Jesus, and he comes and he gives us a new heart, we enter back into that Edenic state Mm -hmm. where we are able to sin still, just like Adam and Eve were able to sin, but we are finally able not to sin yeah. again. We're actually able to do something that's righteous again. Yep. It removes this impossibility Yeah, as Paul would kind of talk about it. The law stands outside of us and says, mm-hmm. do this, right? Like, and yep. you look at the law and you try to do it and all it does is make you feel guilty and condemned of how right. you didn't live up to it. Yeah. But then when the law is written on our hearts, God says to us, no, not do this, But I am making you this. You will become this. It turns an impossibility into an inevitability that the law that we cannot follow becomes a law that we cannot help but eventually follow. Yes. It's like that's right. That's right. It's not that you'll be perfect, that you'll perfectly obey the law. Right. It's that you will inevitably, eventually, through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of the glory of Jesus at the end of time, you will be conformed to the law that's been written on your heart. It will work itself out.
1: That's right. Which is why Jeremiah can say that part of the new covenant is the sinlessness of Judah. Exactly. Because the new covenant guarantees that eventually.
0: Eventually. Yes. Yes. First John three, two, when Uh, we see him, we will become like him because we will see him as he is. One day we will actually bear out the sinlessness that Jesus has written on our hearts in blood. Yeah. Like that will happen. Yeah.
1: Covenant that's that's that's, I mean we talked meta 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 about the idea of covenant and new covenant brides and death what is a new covenant what did Jeremiah maybe mean by that but like you're going to get as you read Jeremiah you're going to get inundated with these ideas this tension between the inevitability of exile and divorce but the inevitability of God's love and, and restoration marriage. and new marriage. Two so
0: resurrected people getting two, married.
1: Yeah, two resurrected people getting <laughs> that's married. so fun. Uh, so yeah, so that's it. That's okay. The, that's the thing.
0: I love it. And then what's the next and last episode?
1: Last episode we'll talk about is Jesus as the new Jeremiah. Ooh. So all throughout the New Testament, Jesus is depicted as a reincarnation of Mm. jeremiah a a new jeremiah on the scene predicting new covenant obviously as we've talked about multiple times but yes we'll talk about
0: that that'll be awesome well thank you guys for joining us as we've walked through the theme of covenant in jeremiah as seth said next time we'll talk about jesus as the new jeremiah and we hope you'll join us for that as well so thank you for being with us today and we'll see you next time